0: Father, we just thank you for your grace. Lord, we all deserve uh, death. We all deserve uh, judgment. Lord, we just thank you for the grace we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, we do pray for our nation. We pray for our city and all the terrible things that happened the other night and for all those families that were affected by that. Lord, we just we just ask you to minister to them in a special way. But Lord, we, we just, uh, you know, we're as a country, we're turning from you and Lord, we can expect to see more of this. So, Lord, we just ask you to send revival to this land. Lord, send revival to, to your church and and uh, Lord, help uh, help us to be more serious about the things that that you want us to be serious about and and put away some of these idols, Lord, and get very serious about our relationship with you, Father. As as we come to the text today and we look at this great passage on faith again, Lord, would it just show us just how important faith is, especially in difficult times, Lord. It's always important because we, as your word said, it's impossible to please you without faith. Lord, and help us also to learn today how to apply faith to our prayers, just how important it is, how how prayers without faith are are just nothing more than hot air. So teach us these lessons today that you would have us to learn. Uh, Teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, We ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, again, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews, and we'll be in chapter number 11 today, that great chapter on faith, and uh, we'll be picking up in verse number 4. Before we get started, uh, i tell you a little bit about uh, uh, a lesson on prayer I read once by James Hewitt, and I, I wrote it down here, and I wanted to read it to you. It's a really profound, short little lesson on uh prayer listen to what he says he says as a pastor you often hear people say i don't know what to pray about do you ever go to the lord and just wonder what do i need to pray about or, or you've heard people who will get a prayer list of missionaries and pray and the only reason they're praying for them because they don't have anything else to pray for so uh you have people like that and then he says he says a lady said to me not too long ago i can't pray for more than two minutes at a time what's wrong with me what can i do and when people say things like that to him, he, he goes on to say, he says, he says, what I've, he, he, he replies to them, what have you been thinking about or what have you been worrying about all week? Pray about that. In other words, convert your thoughts to prayer. Prayer is not only thinking new things, prayer is thinking in dialogue with God. Now, listen very carefully what he says next. He said, it is moving from self-centered monologue to a conversation with God. That's what prayer is. It's moving from a self-centered monologue to a conversation with God. Do you understand what he's saying right there? He's saying effectual prayer is moving from talking to yourself to a conversation with God. You know, I think a lot of our prayers is nothing more than us talking to ourselves. And I think the reason it's like that is because we lack faith. And that's what we're going to learn in today's lesson in Hebrews, how effectual prayer begins with faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because it's by faith that we move from talking to ourselves to a conversation with God. Because if we really have faith, then we believe that God is all he says he is. We believe that he's able to answer our prayers, and we believe that he is there, he is who he is, and he's there, and we know that he hears our prayers, and that he's willing to answer our prayers. And so that's the lesson we're going to learn today in this great chapter of faith, but let's pick up where we left off last time and kind of set the setting here. If you remember, we began this chapter of faith with a definition of faith in verse number one. What's the definition he gave us of faith? He says, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Verse number one, the evidence of things not seen. And we learned last week, what's the substance of our faith? The substance of our faith is Jesus Christ. And if we're truly a born again believer and, we're, and, and, and we understand that the substance of our faith is Jesus Christ, then we have evidence of our faith. I don't know of any true believer who doesn't have evidence of their faith. I mean, if you're walking with God, you have evidence day to day that God is there. You have evidence of your faith. Then let's jump down to verse 3. In verse 3, he takes us to the most basic application of faith. And we spent a long time on this last time, which he gives us in verse number 3. He says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which are visible." So we believe that Jesus, the creator, spoke this universe into existence because who's the substance of our faith? Jesus Christ. And the the substance of our faith happens to be the creator of this universe. So who am I going to trust for the creation account? Am I going to trust secular science or am I going to trust the Lord himself, the one who was there, the one who created things, I think, around 10,000 years ago? If it was billions of years ago, he's still the one who created created it. But it's not. I don't believe that at all. All right. So we we have evidence of our faith. We have evidence that that uh, that uh, that Jesus is alive, and we believe by faith that he is our creator. Now, what he's going to do now as we go to verse number four. Uh, he's going to give us one of. a a very simple example of how faith works in salvation, a a basic example of how faith works in salvation, a very important example of how faith works in, in, uh, salvation. He gives it to us in one verse, verse number four. Listen to what he says. He says, by faith, Abel offered to God, a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now, Really, I, I think that's a bad translation. He offered an, an acceptable a sacrifice, and Cain's was not acceptable. He offered a sacrifice that God accepted, and Cain's he did not accept. Though through which, he says, he obtained witness. He becomes our, a witness to us that he was righteous. He was made righteous by his sacrifice. He presented a sacrifice that made him righteous, Cain presented a sacrifice that did not make him righteous. Actually, we're going to see later on that his sacrifice was an evil sacrifice. And God testifying of his gifts, the sacrifices that he made, and through it, he being dead still speaks to us. Even though Cain killed Abel and Abel is still dead, he still speaks loudly to us today of what a proper sacrifice really is. Now, to to truly understand this text, we've got to go back to the original account that Moses gave us back in Genesis. Go back to the first book of the Bible. We're going to do a little bit of a a Bible drill here real quick, so hang with me. Go back to the first book of the Bible, chapter number 4, around page 3, depending on what Bible you have. Four, this time it'll really work. It should be around page three or four of your Bible, maybe page two. Can't do that many times, but we can do that there. All right, now, pick up in chapter four and look at verse number one. It says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, which Cain means acquired. And so she said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again. A second son, this time his brother Abel, and Abel means breath, which I think refers to the shortness of his life. He's not going to live long. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep. You know, isn't it amazing how God has a special place for shepherds? I mean, he it, it has so many shepherds that he did special things with. But anyway, he, he was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. All right. Now, not only was his offering from the fruit of the ground, his offering was from the work of his hands. And and really, that's what the author of Hebrews has been warning us about throughout the book of Hebrews. Let me rephrase that a little bit. What he's been trying to do is show us that by the works of our flesh, no one will be justified. I mean, we can't be justified by works. Now, now, let me say this. I believe with all my heart that godly faith produces good works. Did you catch that? Godly faith produces good works. But let's flip that. Good works never, never produces godly faith. Godly faith produces good works, but good works never produce godly faith. Where do we get godly faith? Two ways. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's a gift from God. And faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. And so we've got to listen to what God has to say if we want godly faith. You can't produce it with good works. All right. Then he says in verse number four, Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Now, maybe a better word there is he accepted Abel and his offering. But he did not accept or respect Cain and his offering. And, man, I guess I can understand. Cain was very angry. And his countenance fell. You ever been rejected? I mean, what happens when you're rejected? Man, you're all excited. I'm bringing God a gift, and and you hand him the gift, and all of a sudden he says, I don't accept your gift. And his countenance failed. I mean, he felt terrible. Why was God pleased with Abel's gift and not Cain's? Well, some theologians will say that the reason God was not pleased with with Cain's gift was that Abel gave the very best of his flock, but Cain did not give the very best of his crops. Now, you missed the whole point if that's the way you interpret that. In fact, if I was to read, be reading your commentary and that's the way you interpreted that, I would throw your commentary in the garbage can because that's going to influence the way you com- interpret everything else. Because the, that's not the lesson that he's trying to show us right here. Uh, Cain, I think, brought his very best. And I think that's why he was so angry and that's why his countenance fell because he had, he had done his very best. I mean, his offering was based upon his hard work, and all Abel had to do was just kill a lamb. And so he felt slighted on this. And I can understand his anger. I mean, we take a lot of pride in our hard work. Did y'all catch what I just said? We take a lot of pride in our hard work. And what does God think about pride? Oh, man, pride goeth before destruction in the Lord's eyes. God's not impressed with our pride. Uh, Pride gets us nowhere with God. Now, what I want to do is, I told you to hang on. Hang on here in Genesis, hang on in Hebrews, and head with me over to 1 John, way over past Hebrews, towards Revelation, almost to the end of the Bible, because he gives us a little bit more insight on this passage and a little bit of digression he does in the text in 1st John chapter 3, almost to the end of your Bible, and the page numbers won't work here, mine's of 1,074, no telling where yours is at, but head almost to the end of the Bible to 1st John chapter 3, and, and go with me to verse number 11, 1st John chapter 3, verse number 11. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And that's, he's going to do something, he's going to digress for us. This is where we're going to get the information we want. Not as Cain, who obviously didn't love his brother, who was of the wicked one. Who's the wicked one? The devil. So we get a little bit of insight that Cain was of the devil. He was prideful like the devil. He was proud of his good works. And... and He was of the wicked one, and he murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Look at this. Look at the insight we get here. Because his works were evil. They were evil. What's it mean to be evil? It means to be against the will of God. They were against the will of God. And Abel's works, his brother's works, were righteous. What's it mean to be righteous? Within the will of God. To be right is to be in the will of God. To be evil is to be out of the will of God. It's as simple as that. If you go back and remember the story, God had prescribed for Adam and Eve, he had prescribed for them a covering for sin, hadn't he? What was that covering for sin? How did you cover sin? With animal skins. In order to have animal skins, what did you have to do? You had to kill the animal, and God made the first sacrifice because he he gave them the first animal skins that covered them and covered their sin. Now, why do you have to have the death of an animal in order to cover sin? Well, we've been looking at this in the first part of Hebrews because sin produces what? Always. Always. You look at what happened Friday night in Lafayette. That's where it always ends up. You got a guy who's off doing all sorts of sin and sinful ways. Eventually, it's going to end up, something's going to die. Sin always kills. And so in order to overcome death, what do you have to have? Life. Where's the life? The life, we're told in Leviticus, is in the blood. The life is in the blood. And so Cain decided he had a better way. He didn't need the blood, just like a lot of churches have decided decided today, we don't need the blood. Well, you take the blood away, and you have nothing because it's impossible to please God without faith, and faith begins with the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Cain's way was evil, and Abel's way was righteous. I mean, that's what the sacrifice of Abel points to. It points to the blood of Jesus Christ. But Cain was making the same mistake that every self-righteous person makes, every self-righteous religion makes. Go with me. Hang on there. Actually, you can leave First John, hang on to Genesis, and hang on to Hebrews, and now go back to Romans. See how good you guys are. Go to Romans chapter 10. And look at verse number two, for they, he's speaking of the Jews, for any religious people, he's speaking of Cain, he's speaking of anybody who tries to justify themselves by the works. Hebrews chapter 10, verse three, he says, for they, not Hebrews chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verse three, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. In other words, when you do that, when you try to establish your own righteousness, how does God see that? He sees that as against his will. He sees that as evil. And the only righteousness that he accepts is the righteousness that comes through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. And Abel's sacrifice pointed to that blood. And that's the way we overcome sin. Sin. It's not just it saves us. We overcome sin by faith. We, have to, we can't, through our own works, overcome sin any more than we can save ourselves through our own works. We can over, only overcome sin by what? Faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the next lesson that God tried to teach Cain. He wasn't going to hear it because self-righteous people don't want to hear this. Listen to what he says back in Genesis. Now you can flip back to Genesis, hang on to Hebrews. You can leave uh, 1 John and Romans forever, at least for now. (laughs) Maybe you want to go back there one day. But go back to Genesis and listen to the lesson he gives us here. He says, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance falling? If you do well. If you do well. What is well with God? One word. One word. Faith, if you come to me by faith, the way I prescribe for you to come to me, if you do well, will you not be accepted just like Abel was accepted? I mean, Abel's no better than you. I'm not saying Abel's a better man than you. A- Abel understood what faith was all about. Abel wanted to be obedient to God because he loved God. Cain only loved who? Cain, And he wasn't going to be obedient to God. He wanted to have God's favor. And so he gave him the very best he could give him. But he wouldn't submit to God's righteousness. He tried to establish his own righteousness. And so he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And you'll have power over sin. And if you do not do well and you try to justify yourself, sin lies at your door. Let me warn you. Sin's going to get you. Sin's going to get everybody that's not living by faith. He says, and it's it has its desire for you, but you should not, but you should rule over it. But you can't rule over it in your own strength. You can only rule over sin by what? One word. By faith. By faith in the power of Jesus Christ. By faith in the spirit. By faith in the blood. It's, it, it's by faith in God that you have Power over sin. And so he's saying, that, he's saying to Cain, put away your anger. Approach me the right way, and you will over, have the power to overcome sin. Did that happen? No. What did Cain do? Man, the next verse, he kills his own brother. He's so angry and jealous and all of these things that he can't. And, 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 and Abel had those same uh, characteristics. He was a fallen human being. I mean, he was the son of the God, the master of falling, Adam. They both were fallen creatures. But their only hope was in God, but in faith in God. And so he didn't put his faith in God, and he, and he killed his own brother in the very next verse. So, so what we've seen here so far in Hebrews, and we're back in Hebrews now, we've seen faith for salvation. And we've seen faith that overcomes sin and gives us salvation, and we've seen uh, faith that, that uh, gives us righteousness. Now, in verse number 5, going back to Hebrews, verse Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 5, we see how faith overcomes death. Faith overcomes death. It's only by faith that we can overcome death. Listen to what he says next. I like this guy now. You want a guy to encourage you? This next character will really encourage you. If you're a born-again believer. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this witness, this testimony, that he pleased God. What pleases God? Faith. Faith. What chapter are we in? Faith. So so don't try to say that Enoch somehow just, he didn't drink, he didn't smoke, and he didn't fool around, and so one day God pulled him out of here. That isn't what this is about. No, he, he had faith. That's what this is about. He had faith. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us much about Enoch. But what we get about Enoch, to me, is absolutely amazing. He didn't see death. He didn't see death. Man, I want to learn how what he did. He didn't see death. And Moses tells us why he didn't see death in Genesis chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. But he says, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Why did God take him? He walked with God. How did he walk with God? By faith. You know, I think Enoch, as much as any man who ever lived, understood what the author said back in verse number 38 of chapter 10. Look back there. Now the just shall live by faith. We don't just overcome sin and, and, and we aren't just saved by faith. We're to live by faith. We're to walk by faith. And when we're walking by faith, we're truly walking with God. And, we, you know, I mean, I, I, I wish right now God would just take me on, on out of here because I, I try <laughs> to walk by faith. I mean, I wish just right now, whoof, I'd be gone. That's, that's probably not the way it's going to work because when I'm gone, guess what? Most of y'all are going to be gone with me. That's coming pretty soon, by the way. Enoch is a type of the rapture. And you're either going to get raptured out of here. I believe in the rapture in two respects. I believe there's a rapture that comes right before the great tribulation. But I believe that before any believer dies, anybody who's walking with God by faith, I believe that before that body hits the ground, you're raptured out of that body. And you never taste death. If you're a born again believer, you never taste death. Man, I have hung out with a few people that were dying. I've seen how a believer dies and a non-believer dies. Let me tell you, this is a big difference. It's a big difference. You know, you remember the story when Jesus came to raise Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11, you don't have to turn there. But Mary and Martha, they were put out with Jesus. They said, Jesus, why didn't you come earlier? I mean, if you had come earlier, my brother wouldn't have died. You you could have healed him. You could have have saved him, but now he's dead. And Jesus said to him, don't be so upset. Your brother will rise from the dead. Then in John chapter 11, verse 24, Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, "I, I am. I am. The resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Do you catch that? Though let me reword that. Though he may die, he still lives. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Y'all catch that? Do, do you believe that? That's what he asked them. Do you really believe that? I mean, do you have faith? that you'll never die if you're a born-again believer. I got news for you. You're going to get raptured one way or the other. You're not going to die. So he says, Martha, Mary, do you have the faith? Then if you do, then believe that Lazarus only appears to be dead because he walked with God and was not because God took him, just like he did Enoch. I am the resurrection of the life, and to show you I'm the resurrection of the life, then I'm gonna call your brother back to his body. He's alive. All I gotta do is call him. And remember what he did? He said, Come forth, Lazarus, come forth. And next thing you know, Lazarus was back in that body. I, Lazarus got a bad deal. A really bad deal. I mean, I don't wanna be an example like that. Get me out of here and leave me out of here. Don't bring me back. In fact, if I die here right now, I don't want any mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. I don't think I'm going to get it, but I don't want it. He says to all of us today, Like Abel is your faith in my blood, like Enoch do you walk with me by faith. If you do, you shall never die. One day you won't be seen by this world. You'll be raptured out of here before your body even dies. But you won't die. You won't ever die. Now, do you all believe that? Do you believe that it's by faith you overcome sin and you're perfectly righteous? How many of you all believe that? Do you believe that you're never going to die if you're a born-again believer? Then why don't we live in constant faith in God, in constant prayer? See, that's the conclusion of all of this. If you really believe he saved you by faith, and if you really believe you're going to overcome death by faith, then you've got to walk by faith. And you walk by faith through prayer. Look at what he says in the next verse, verse number six. Go with me to verse number six. This is the last verse we'll look at. He says, But without faith, catch this now, it is impossible to please God, to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder, catch this, of those who diligently seek him. He rewards you if you diligently seek him. If he can overcome death, and you believe that, and he can overcome your sin, and you believe that, then you're certainly going to want to diligently seek him. I mean, how many of you in this room want to have powerful prayers? Powerful prayer life where well, your prayers are answered by God. I mean, I want that, don't you? Well, how do you get it? Diligent prayer. What is diligent prayer? Diligent prayer. What is diligent prayer? You know, I think a lot of people get this wrong. I think a lot of people believe that diligent prayer, it has to be long prayer. It has to be long-winded prayer. It has to be very eloquently worded prayer, very flowery prayer. You've got to impress God or he's not going to hear you. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. When Peter was drowning in the water, what did he say? Lord, help. He didn't say, Almighty Father who lives in heaven. Oh, and I want to pray for the missionaries and give a list of the missionaries and do all of it. No, he said, Lord, help. That's, that's one of the best prayers in the Bible. Write it down. Put it on your refrigerator. Lord, help. I pray it all the time. On Carmel, you remember Elijah on Carmel? 300 prophets of Baal, 800 prophets of Baal. I've got the number wrong, 300 or 800 or something, a bunch of them. And they had prayed, all of them, chanting flowery prayers, eloquent words for six hours. And they couldn't get anything to happen. Elijah prayed less than a minute. Read his prayer. Short, less than a minute, and what happened? Fire came down from heaven and consumed that sacrifice. No chanting, no repeating himself. God didn't need to hear it again. He, he just gave his prayer. And the prayer, of a, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much, and fire came down from heaven and consumed that sacrifice. Listen to what Solomon says about prayer in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Let me just read it to you. Listen to this real carefully. He says, walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. What's what's he talking about, the sacrifice of fools? Run in our mouths. For they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth. And what's anything mean in the Hebrew? I'm going to prepare you for this. What's anything mean in the Hebrew? Anything and let not your heart utter anything hastily before the Lord. Man, that should change our prayer lives. That's when we come to the house of God. We don't utter anything hastily before the Lord. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. What's His conclusion? Let your words be few. Very carefully chosen words. Very few words. Jesus himself in Matthew 6 said, And when you pray, do not keep babbling and chanting like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Am I saying your prayers have to be short? No. But your prayers need to be well-chosen words. You better be very serious if you're especially in public prayer that you're, you're speaking to God and you're very careful about what you're saying and you've thought out what you're saying and you're not just chanting. You're just not repeating yourself over and over again. God is not stupid. He hears your prayer the first time. And, 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 and you know what? Our prayer certainly shouldn't be short. Paul says we're to pray without ceasing. So that means we're to always be in an attitude of prayer. But our prayer should be marked more by listening to God than talking to God. That's what makes prayers diligent prayers. When we take the time to talk to God very carefully and to listen to God very earnestly, Now, that's what diligent prayer is. It's faith. It's based upon faith. It's a conversation with God based upon faith, upon real faith in Jesus Christ. And it's impossible to please God and pray without faith. You can't do it. I mean, look at what he says in verse number 6. He says, but without faith is it impossible to please him in anything, Less alone your prayers. Without faith you can't please God. I mean, you can give your life on the mission field. You can uh, give everything you have to the poor. You can be the best mom and dad in the world. Uh, You can give your life to your country. You can read your Bible every day. You can say the longest flowery prayers in the world. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. You understand what he's saying? Nothing pleases God that is not done by faith or through faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing, nothing pleases him. Cain's offering didn't please him. As hard as Cain had worked, and as beautiful as all those flowers and vegetables and fruit that he gave the Lord, as beautiful as they were, they didn't please God. Because it's impossible to please God without faith. And faith, you know where faith begins? It begins with faith in the blood of Jesus Christ and nothing else. And it continues on. as as we, We have faith in God to guide our lives and to guide our service to him. And, you know, I think we have faith in so many other things. As a society, we're placing faith in so many other things other than God. And we wonder why we're in such a mess. But let's go back to this issue of prayer. He says, it's impossible to please God without faith in all things. But look at you. Now he addresses the issue of prayer. He says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. You know, I I know our prayers would change drastically if our physical eyes could see God when we were praying. I don't know I'd say anything. In fact, I know I wouldn't say anything. Everybody's ever tried. Once they saw God, they shut up. I know I'd be very careful about what I said. I mean, he says... But he who comes to us believe that he is, and that he he really is there. That he really is all he says he is. That he really is the great I am. That he really is never changes. That he really is our creator. That he's the one who created the world by his word. We believe that he is the way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to him except by Jesus Christ. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. No one. And if we really believe that by faith, then the doorway is opened up. That's what the whole message of this book of Hebrews is, is to allow us to draw near to God. But we can only draw near to God through faith in the blood. It's the only thing that gives us access into the presence of God. And this is a real tricky thing. Because we think we're living by faith, and a lot of times we're doing the same thing Cain's doing. Well, I can't really talk to God. I'm really really good today, so I'm, you know, better just not talk to God. Well, you can talk to God anytime you want if you have faith. Because he, He's never pleased with, with your it's not He might be He might be happy that you're doing good things, but but that's not what pleases Him in a way that opens up the holiest of holies. What opens up the holiest of holies is your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's the only thing that pleases him in that manner. So we believe that he is truly, that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, man, if I really believe I have access to God, and I really believe that he's really there when I pray, and I really believe that he's all he says he is. Man, that changes everything. How many of y'all believe that God is omnipresent? Omnipresent means he can be present anywhere at any time. You know what that tells me? That he can hear my prayer no matter where I'm at. He can hear my bad language no matter where I'm at. He hears whatever comes out of my mouth no matter where I'm at and when it Isn't it better, as James says, isn't it better, you know, we use the same mouth to bless God and curse our fellow man? Don't you think we're better off just blessing God with that mouth, seeing he's hearing that we really believe, if we really believe he's present, then we really believe that he hears our prayers no matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing. We believe that he's omniscient. How many of you believe that God's omniscient? What's omniscient mean? He's a know-it-all. He's the classic quintessential know-it-all. He knows everything. And he, he can, I mean, he really does know it all. He's not like me. I pretend to know it all. I don't know anything. But he knows it all. Now, you gotta chant your problems to the Lord. You gotta get on your knees and tell your, the Lord over and over and over again what your problem is. You're doing that, you really don't believe in the omniscience of the Lord. He knew your problem before you got on your knees. Isn't that wonderful? You know what else that tells me if he's omniscient? That means he knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. Everything that's going to happen to me in the future, he already knows it. He knows every pitfall that I face. So should I let him guide me or should I guide myself? (laughs) Should I let my education guide me or should I let him guide me? Should I let my doctor guide me or should I let him guide me? He might guide me to my doctor. But should, who, am I ultimate, who am I looking at ultimately for guidance and wisdom? I'm looking to the Lord because I really believe that he is, that he is omniscient. And if you're looking somewhere else, I mean, I catch myself. I'm, we were worried about the air conditioner last night, and I was worried this air conditioner wasn't going to work. We're going to be in the gym today. And I was sitting there worrying about how am I going to take what am I going to do, what am I going to do. I'm sitting there studying this text. And you know what I did? I just dropped it. I said, Lord, you know we need this place cool in the morning. For some reason it cooled down today. I just pray, Lord, cool the place down. I mean, keep the air, what little air conditioner we have running, running until the guy can get here Monday. But we, we, we don't do that very often, do we? We try to solve all those things ourselves. And then if we believe, how I many of you believe God is omnipotent? What's omnipotent means that He has all power. He has all power. If he knows my problem and he has all power to solve my problem. Why would I go anywhere else to get it solved? mean that He has all the means necessary to answer my prayers. You know what our problem is? A lot of time he answers our prayers, no. Mm-hmm. Well, Lord, we're just not going to accept that. <laughs> we're going to go our way and do our thing our way. Or he answers our prayers, this is the one I hate. And this is the most common answer I get, and it rhymes with hate. Wait, because <laughs> I hate to wait. <laughs> I'm a poet and didn't know it. but knows a good answer if he knows the future, isn't it? He's got the power to fix my problem. He says, I'm not going to fix it now. You've got to wait. Or I'm never going to fix it because you're, you're, you're going to make a mess if you do this. Then maybe I ought to listen to him, huh? You know, you can sum it all up by saying that by faith we believe that he is. That he is our father. And our father, a father who has all the riches of the universe at his disposal, all the power in the universe at his disposal to use to answer your prayers in a way that's best for you. you believe that? That's who he is. He's your father. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. We walk by faith in, 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 in who he is. And then he answers all our prayers according to his riches in glory. You know what? I don't know about you. I know my faith has substance because I know Jesus Christ. And I have evidence that He lives in me. I have evidence that He answers my prayer. He answers my prayers all the time. I, mean, I quit. I quit using a prayer journal because He He always answers my prayers. Yeah, there's a lot of no's and yeah, there's a lot of waits, but He always answers my prayer. I have evidence of that. If you don't know the Lord and if you don't if you don't have that a, a good prayer life with the Lord. And I'm not saying I have a great prayer life. I don't know if any of us have the kind of prayer life we should have. But, man, we, all of us who do pray know that he is. We know that he's our father, and we have evidence that he's our father. And we have evidence that he answers prayers in a way that, that's to our benefit. I love the great hymn by Joseph Scriven called What a Friend We Have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything, everything, everything to God in prayer. You know, the only thing that keeps us from carrying everything to God in prayer is a little, a small faith. Because if we really believe that he is who he says he is, none none of us would be so foolish as to try to do things on our own like Cain did. None of us would be so foolish as to neglect our relationship with the Lord let's go to the Lord in prayer Father we just thank you for the great privilege we have of prayer Lord and we have evidence of answered prayer everybody in this room has had prayer answered in their life Lord sometimes you don't answer the prayers of the way we like but Lord you always answer our prayers and you always answer them in a way that's good for us so Lord help us give us more faith Lord we believe help our unbelief Give us faith to, to walk in this lost and dying world, Lord, to be your witness. To serve you and to serve mankind in this short time you have us here on this earth. We can only do all of those things by faith, Lord. So teach us about faith and give us faith and, and uh, help us to use our faith. We just thank you for that, the faith we have in Jesus Christ and his blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It's in his precious name that I pray.